Hello, and welcome to What is Wrong with Hiring, the podcast where we talk about why hiring people and getting hired are somehow both absolute nightmares. I'm your host, Laura Klein. Please be advised that this podcast may contain drinking, swearing, and screaming into the abyss, so pretty much like most podcasts. Uh, my guest today is Amy Santi. Uh, Amy is a career strategist and coach for UX professionals uh, who want to design their careers with intention and bring their good to the world, which we personally love. I don't know why I used the royal we there, but you know. <laughs> something that you've probably grown to expect. Um, as, as a personal growth nerd um, who loves partnering with individuals to build confidence and courage, develop a unique professional brand, navigate work environments, and, and find jobs they love. Um, prior to coaching, Amy built a career as a UX researcher working on end-to-end product development and strategy with all kinds of organizations like eBay, Lowe's, General Motors, the city of Portland. So all of it. Um, welcome, Amy. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you so much. I am a huge fan. I loved your podcast with Kate Rudder. Um, and I am so excited to be part of your new project. We're, we're moving on without Kate now that Kate's super into plants. Bye. <laughs> I know it's very sad, but uh, I'm very glad to have you here um, today. Um, I, I'm very excited about today because we're going to be talking about something near and dear to my heart, uh, which is the candidate experience of hiring. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this. I'll be honest, because I mean, we've all been candidates. Like we've all gone out and tried to get, you know, that dream job or just, you know, the, especially if the job, the dream is to pay the rent. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, especially for a lot of hiring managers, we may not get how different it is right now to be a candidate and things have really changed. And I would like to know what you are hearing from the candidate side of things for all those folks that, that we're currently interviewing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you made a good point too, that it should be okay for people to want to get a job just to pay the rent, yeah. you know, just to support their family. Um, you know, a lot of UX people, user experience professionals, tech people are super passionate about their work, but I'd like to see a, a bit of a shift uh, because people have to support themselves, you know, yeah, a little bit of a difference. Nothing wrong with trading your labor for money. I exactly. Mean, I don't. I don't think that they ask uh, surgeons how many surgeries they perform on weekends. Right. Right. <laughs> you go there. You do the work. You're you're done unless you're yeah. on call, I suppose. Right. What's what's your surgery repo look like? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, um, just a bit of a, a background. So um, I do work with quite a few people who are preparing for or who are entering or in the midst of a job search. And some people I work with end to end, like preparing, getting all their materials together, um, looking for jobs, figuring out also what they want to do, because sometimes there's a question around that. Maybe they have multiple interests. Uh, maybe they want to do a career transition um, all the way through uh, applying, interviewing, working on uh, pre preparing for different types of interviews, um, preparing for case study presentations. For example, you know, UX researchers and designers typically need to present examples of their work um, all the way through negotiating. And my favorite thing is when my clients get multiple jobs at once, which is pretty typical if you are a baller at your job search and um, you get more interviews. And the more you get, like it just keeps piling on, which is really, really great. And that's also another reason why people have a lot more power these days in terms of um, being selective about the companies they they look at the one that they decide to say yes to. Um, so it's a really fun experience to go through that. 
Um, I work typically with uh, ICs or individual contributors who are uh, UX researchers, UX designers, some content people, um, not typically managers. So that's the you know perspective I'll be speaking from. Um, the as we know, the past couple of years has pretty much changed everything. Um, A couple of times, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. There's been some, and it's continuing to shift. It's like great resignation, great uh, reevaluation, great you know reeducation. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like all of these, all of these are words, and I, I'm, I love to see these shifts. These are important. Um, things that are changing that I don't think with the pandemic, without the pandemic, we wouldn't have seen um, these these major changes in how people work, how people find jobs. Um, the fact that you can be working at a big company at home, and it's so much easier for you to uh, be interviewing for multiple jobs that week without anyone knowing. Like, that's great. Um, and that's absolutely happening. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really cool to be witness to all of this stuff. Um there, yeah, I, I will just yeah. say, as as a manager, it does it does instill just the slightest bit of anxiety when somebody you know just mm-hmm. it can't can't be available for a meeting. I'm you know there's just always that little that you little oh know. maybe I should just be slightly nicer to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, companies companies want to retain power. Let's let's yeah. face it. Um, yeah. If they can't see you, if they can't track you, um, you know, then they're going to wonder like, what is that person doing? Are they you know fucking around? Are they doing their work? Yeah, they're probably doing their work and getting it taken care of. And being even more productive than they used to be. But that aside, um, yes, uh, you know, it, the candidate experience, of course, is going to vary uh, from company to company, um, size of company, um, industry, you know, the, the uh, size of the team that they potentially want to join. So is it a really big UX design and research team? You know, are there hundreds of people versus a small team that has, uh, you know, just like five on it, right? Like mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of variation, um, especially with the larger tech companies. What I see is a lot more infrastructure for designing hiring processes um, that get things done in a quality yet efficient way. Um, at least that's the intention. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to say, and yet, <laughs> and, and yet, I I have certainly heard of people being oh I I'm gonna say ghosted by mm-hmm. well, I'm not gonna name any names but large yeah. largeish companies and ghosted yeah. and you know there's mistreatment and there's yeah. you know being jerked around and all of that stuff yeah but um, some of them are are really really good experiences um, so so that and that's interesting too because when you have that kind of infrastructure you can have recruiters that specialize just in user experience recruiting which is really amazing. That actually makes it much easier on candidates um, and and managers and everyone that's involved versus someone who's more of a generalist recruiter, um, doesn't know as much about the practice. So that's definitely something I see uh, in these larger tech companies. Um, They are also more likely to be open to hiring folks with non-traditional backgrounds. So for example, if you are going into user experience research and you've worked in academia for, uh, you have a PhD, you've been doing academic research for 10 years, you have a lot of expertise, um, you've, you have all the competencies that you would really need fundamentally to be a professional, maybe with some you know knowledge gaps of some kind that you can fill. 
they're way more open and uh, see the value of bringing those kinds of folks in. Whereas, you know, on the, on the flip side, maybe a smaller company might not have that ability, might not be able to provide that support, might not be able to take what you might see as, as a risk, right? So yeah. it's interesting. If there's, one or two, if there's one or two designers or you're hiring your very first researcher, you might be a little bit more risk averse on that um, rather exactly. than somebody who can actually train and, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, so really what it's about is um, candidates being selective and, and honing that focus um, where should they be applying in terms of like, what's the, the best fit, um, for, for their background, the type of work that they want to do. Um, and so, so yeah, so uh, again, lots of variety here. Um, I've heard some really, really cool things lately in talking to, um, hiring managers about the candidate experiences that they have very intentionally designed because they come from UX, um, and what makes them special or different from the norm. So for example, uh, there's a lot of time and effort involved on everyone's behalf in interviewing. But if you think about candidates, um, they're probably looking for uh, looking at multiple jobs. Um, they have a job. Oftentimes it's, it's this extra work that they have to do outside of their work. Um, hours upon hours, uh, interview loops where you spend an entire day talking with people. Um, they might be asked to do take home exercises, they have to prepare presentations, all of that. And that's common, I would say. But there's a question that people are asking now of like, what is actually necessary? Are, you know? are we getting are we finally getting more pushback from candidates on the take home tests? Because I, I have never been able to stand them as a candidate or even as a hiring manager. I don't find them useful. But um, yes, are we finally getting pushback from candidates on there? That? There's a growing pushback. There's absolutely okay. people who just do it. They're like, whatever, I'm applying for this job. That's what they're I, asking me for. No shade to those folks. Like, yeah. I get it. But yeah. man, if you can push back, push back, please. I am begging you. People do. Um, people <laughs> pull out of the interview process. Um, they they talk like they talk mm-hmm. and they drink tea on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a great community for for having conversations about this stuff. And, you know, once people pick up on something that needs to change, it gets talked about more. People start uh, taking their own actions to advocate for something or to try to get rid of something. And so, yes, this is a good example um, of something that I'm seeing shift. And I mean, ultimately, I just really encourage people to sit down and go, what is what's necessary how, how, what do we need to know about candidates? Um, and how can we do it as efficiently as possible so that we can hire them more quickly? People need to move fast. You know, the faster you can move, the more likely it is, uh, that you will be able to bring that person on and perhaps prevent them from going to another company. And of course the offer and, you know, the type of work and all of that is, is another factor, um, in that sort of thing. So, so yes, moving fast. Um, but on the flip side of this, I don't think it's been so common for candidates to also take a step back and go, you know, I'm interviewing them. I have all <laughs> these questions. You know what? I didn't have enough time in the interviews to ask my questions. I need more time. I need to have a couple more conversations with the people on this team. And frankly, that should just be offered. You know, there should not be a, an assumption made that, everyone's had their questions answered, the candidate's fine, they're, you know what I'm saying? Like offer that to people so they know they even have the option of doing so. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've started to do that when I've been hiring and I've, I found it so good on both sides just because I feel like, I, I, 
don't want somebody coming on to a job that they're not going to be happy in. I, I want them to ask me all the hard questions that might get them to say no, because if I say, well, you know, this is how it is here. And they're like, you know, I would leave that in six months. That's a great thing for both of us to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That is just such a good and useful thing for us to figure out before, you know, I go to all the expense of bringing them on and onboarding them and training them and then having them say, wow, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Exactly. And that's a really practical, uh, serious concern. But let's imagine all companies did that. So many companies wouldn't be able to get employees. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but on the other hand, maybe they would get better. I don't know. I like to be a bit of an optimist on that. It's like, wow, we keep it, it's sort of it's sort of like with, you know, posting salary bands now, which I know is um legally required in some places. Mm-hmm. And I'm I think that's fantastic. I'm all for it. Um you know, you got to post salary bands and it's like, okay, well, if you can't get people to apply with the salary you're offering, maybe that should tell you something. Right. Right. Or if this person applies to uh, your startup, you can give them a good salary, but then there's this question of will it go public and will they get some kind of financial compensation later? That's a question mark. Um, If you're uh, trying to get that person to come to your company and they're also looking at Microsoft, Google, whatever, where there's a guaranteed amount of money, guaranteed set of perks that other places can't provide, like, where are they going to choose? It, it, it could go your way if you have a really strong mission and values-based organization that is, like, actually uh, practiced and, uh, you know, prioritized. <laughs> true. And people care, right? True, right? Yeah. And that goes back to our discussion about, like, transparency and some things people want to know about are, are just kind of taboo to discuss, you know, mm. broadly speaking, this category of organizational culture um, issues and the positives and the negatives and all that people don't want to spill the beans on that because then that could scare someone away. And, and frankly, that's, that doesn't even have to happen in that interview process that happens in our social networks. People talk, People share their experiences with this toxic manager and this horrible team and this psychopathic executive and, oh, I can't have any impact in my work at this place. I'm wasting my life. You know, that gets shared in outside circles. And I see plenty of that. And I'm, I like the fact that I'm a vector or whatever the word is for that kind of information <laughs> to kind of prevent people from going into a job that they're going to be dissatisfied with that mm-hmm. is going to... Um, you know, make them burn out. That might be abusive in some way. So it's, so it's so hard though for candidates who don't, who aren't already part of that whisper network, um, who don't get to hear that, who maybe only see like, oh, but it's, you know, hot new startup. And, you know, I hear about them in the, you know, and whatever the tech press and, you know, you can tell I don't read the tech press anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even know who it is. Like, I don't know, tech crunch. Is that still, do we still have that? Is that I thing? think so. I yeah. I don't know. Who can say? Um, but, you know, oh, I, I read about them and they're, they're a big deal. And, you know, then you get there and it's Theranos or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I kind of wish that I'd worked at Theranos because I totally would have whistleblown on them like so quickly. It's not, even you know, they probably selected for that. I don't know. Maybe that, or maybe <laughs> my, under, actually my understanding, I shouldn't say this. I, my understanding is for a lot of people that they that there were a ton of people who worked there who had no idea that it yeah. was all like people who lie to people lie to all people and mm-hmm. it's very easy to end up someplace 
you know, and sort of not know it's true. what is really going on. So I don't, I don't blame a lot of those folks. Well, that's um, the thing. So when I work with folks like that, um, something I coach them in is you need to be a hundred percent clear on your personal values, your core values. Mm-hmm. What you care about is going to help you make the best decision for yourself and feel confident about it. And so if, if you care and prioritize uh, financial security and that's your top thing, okay, great. That's t- whatever your values are, whatever your priorities are is fine. But what you want to do with that is um, identify the questions you need to ask and get answered during that process. Like, let's say you don't have, um, you know, information from other folks that you've, you've heard, right? And so if you're going into it, what information do you need to know at every stage in the process, not just at the end, you know, when you get the offer, but throughout that process, because it's going to allow you to move forward and, and keep that scope narrow. And so, yeah. so like, what are those things you want to know? What are the questions you, you want to ask? Who do you want to talk with? And that going back to the other side. Um, so hiring managers, recruiters, whoever might be on these um, interview panels need to predict and preemptively perhaps answer these types of questions like give just give people the information that they want to know right like and that's actually just such an enjoyable experience for people when there's actually a clear genuine concern from from the company side about that person and what they care about and like you said i don't want to bring someone in who isn't going to find this place to be a good fit let's figure that out before they sign on the dotted line how do, how do you help your clients? Because I think this is actually really hard, especially early in people's careers. How do you help your clients figure out what is important to them? Maybe if they've only worked in a couple of places. I, I will say this. I have talked to lots of you know new folks who've maybe been one or two jobs. And often what they're looking for is not that toxic mess of a place that I'm running away from right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very common if you work in tech startups. Yes. <laughs> so all that they're looking for is not the particular dysfunction that I saw at that terrible, terrible, in the bad place. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you help them sort of proactively come up with, you know, like for me, it's incredibly important that the company have what I consider to be an ethical business model, Mm -hmm. right? That's super important. That's a non-negotiable, like, there you go. And that's pretty easy for me to suss out, but talk to me about some of maybe the harder ones to to figure yeah. out. Well, I mean, you know, look around, where's the data, collect data. So I have this framework uh, for decision-making with confidence. It's like, what's the data? What, what can you observe? What can you learn by talking with people? Uh, what do you learn throughout the process? The, the second uh, part being your values. What do you care about? How do you want to live your life? And how could this job fit into your life? Not how do you fit your life into this job, ideally, anyway. And then the third part is, what is your gut telling you? Our guts are typically right, but they're even more accurate if we're looking at this data and we know enough about ourselves to know if this will be a good fit, right? So that's that's a framework that you can use, uh, again, at any point in the process, um, and so some things will be ready av- readily available online. You know, going to the website, understanding and, and trying to look at information. Um, is it propaganda or is it actually genuine information about how this company uh, runs a, an ethical business? You know, what do they talk about it in detail? Do they blog about it? 
um, asking questions to different people about like, okay, um, I see that you all really care about ethics, or maybe you don't know that information. Ask them about that. How, how do ethics um, get incorporated into um, product design decisions, business decisions, whatever it might be? What does that look like in practice? Can that person speak to that or not um, is, is what you're looking for, right? So, so, so again, some things are easy to find in public. Some things have to be asked uh, in conversations. Um, money, money is an interesting one here because people are still scared to talk about it. They're still scared to ask about it. They often aren't, um, they don't have the language or the strategy uh, to know when and how to talk about it. Maybe they don't have data, but that, so that could be a hard one to figure out, but it doesn't have to be hard. Companies should make it easy to um, have a conversation about that and decide if it makes sense to go forward in that process. Right. So we might think that's just like a, you know, that's uh, some dollars and cents and it's a number, but there's a, a taboo around it. However, as you pointed out, these um, pay ranges, which are uh, legally required or about to be legally required. And I want to say like five, seven States at this point, um, it, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. publicly available salary data, like that's good, but it shouldn't all, the onus should not be on the candidate only. Yeah. And how, so you mentioned, you know, it's, it's, it's not that hard and companies should be more open to talking about it. And, and I will say if they're being real coy about it or a little cagey about it, maybe, maybe that's a signal, a little, little bit of a little little red oh, flag, yeah. just maybe wave it around. Um, right. but that said, sometimes people don't have like, how, how do I make that? request like how do how when when do i start asking those questions um, yeah you know especially I mean, not not as me like you know with 25 years of experience but maybe someone with two or three sure yeah it could be brought up at any point in the process sometimes people will say you know i'm not quite ready to discuss that i need to do some additional research um still you know hey i'm new to ux i'm not quite familiar with salary ranges um however they could just say well what's your budget What's the salary band for this role? Um, or just, again, just offer that up. Like, let's make this easy on everyone. Um, there is a fear and a well-founded fear of people being kind of lowballed um, and uh, getting into a job only to realize that they could have negotiated, that they could have gotten more, right? So, so yeah, I mean, there, that transparency, I would say, is is really important. Of course, if it doesn't get discussed ahead of time, there is a, a question mark. Um, there can be some assumptions, though, about like larger tech companies paying the most because that is a fact, right? They're the richest, so they can pay the most. Um, and sometimes, and, and, and they don't pay it two thirds of your salary and lottery tickets, right? Which is which is what I call the yes yeah, stock options. That's a perfect <laughs> metaphor, exactly, exactly. Yeah, every so often, you know, you get it like, oh, here's here's twenty scratchers. <laughs> Yeah, next quarter. <laughs> yeah, we have that instead of a 401k. Okay. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh -huh. And that's, that's a good point too. What's the total compensation package? People forget, or they don't even realize, like, why just talk about that base salary? That could change. That could mm -hmm. be, you know, be different when you get down to the end and you talk about uh, like RSUs or something like that. So, so, um, you know, and that's part of my work is I seek to educate people on how to have these conversations when, what can be negotiated, um, you know, what people are actually getting paid, um, calling out organizations that 
pay really, really low. You know, people need to know when, when that is the case. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that the asking, one of the things I have found is that um, at some of your larger organizations, they do tend to be better about having things like salary bands. Um, you know, when you're a 10 person startup, Mm-hmm. We, we don't have a salary ban for designer because you're the first one. Um, right. So that right. can be a little trickier, but uh, yeah, understanding how to make those trade-offs can be really super hard as a candidate, especially if you are trying to trade off something like a Microsoft versus a, you know, series A. Right. Startup. Right. How do you get that person to say yes to you when they have other options? Uh, some mm-hmm. people, even if they don't have another offer, they'll just wait. You know, this isn't right for me. I'm just going to wait and I'm going to continue looking. So it's not even always about uh, having multiple offers at once and having to, you know, make the, the best offer to that person. Yeah, no, I've absolutely done that. And it's often been from conversations that I've had with people around sort of, so what, what exactly will I be doing here? <laughs> what what is the job really like and what is your corporate culture and yeah my favorite my favorite story um from this is this is really back in the day but uh i i was interviewing this was back when i was actually an engineer um and i was interviewing and uh, i talked to five different people i was interviewing for the startup and i asked them you know so what do you foresee this job doing because it's kind of a new job what do you foresee it doing and five different people gave me five completely different answers <laughs> and i was like oh so i would be doing five jobs that sounds terrible yeah. <laughs> and i actually didn't go and i ended up oh also the the ceo called me on a saturday morning to discuss things when i was a candidate Ooh. so another just big old big old red flag mm. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right don't yeah, yeah and that's the other thing candidates need to understand how to uh, identify these things that yeah. might not be immediately clear, but let's put all the data together. Let's look for the patterns. If each person says something different, they have no idea what's going on and they don't know what they actually need. And that could be a dangerous situation to walk into. Or it could be super fun if that's the kind of thing you're into. You know, sure. like if, yeah, if what point. you love doing is trying to get everybody aligned and on the same page and pointed in the same direction and you you walk in there and you're like, y'all have no idea what you're doing. Hey, maybe that's the environment for you, but you don't find that out unless you ask because nobody volunteers that kind of information. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's what I want to see is companies volunteering the information that people really want to know about. Yeah, and summarize that for me. What, what, are, like, if you could just, if you, I'm going to give you the wave a magic wand question. <laughs> if you could wave a magic wand and say every single candidate who goes through this process is going to learn X, Y, and Z, solve for X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. People want support and guidance. They want professional development opportunities. They want to know that they're going to be supported, especially if they're newer to practicing their work, right? They don't want to come in and flail around. Um, They want to know that, yes, they're going to be compensated fairly. They want to know that there are equitable hiring and compensation practices from that company that that company is following so that that person feels protected, right? Um, They want to know that they will be able to come in and have some kind of meaningful impact Um, You can be working in design, research, engineering, whatever it might be, and you have your day-to-day tasks, but what's the fruit of your labor, right? Is it something Mm -hmm. that's meaningful to you? 
And people care about different things. Some people want, um, you know, they're really focused on those quarterly goals. You know, they're a a product owner, product manager. Um, They want to ship those things, check that list off. You know, that's that's their perspective. Um, Other other folks might care about that, but they might be more oriented towards um, humans that interact with the product or service and making that fair, making sure it's not manipulative, um, Mm -hmm. seeing the uh, results of their exploratory research, their evaluative research show up in the product and also be respected and incorporated into decision making. And that's a really, frankly, big issue that user experience is continuing to have, which is, um, you know, we've had a seat at the table for like, you know, a lot of years now. And why are there still barriers in certain places uh, for people to have that impact, right? Um, Autonomy, not just being told kind of here's what you're going to do, but autonomy to be creative, um, to, to build your experience. So, so you might assume maybe that these things are at all companies and they're not, Oh no, they're absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they show up in different ways too. The interesting thing is that, you know, different people might define autonomy in different ways. You know, if you're very data driven and you really want to have like KPIs or, or something that, you know, you're always driving toward, like that might be absolute catnip for for somebody and it might be somebody else just saying oh hell no that sounds terrible i want i you know i define autonomy as being able to like explore and ideate and not you know like the ability to you know problem solve to a specific number and but again like that doesn't just come up naturally in an interview you have to ask those questions mm-hmm. you know what else doesn't come up naturally um, is this an abusive, toxic work environment? Like, am I going to get sexually harassed? Um, am I going to experience microaggressions? Um, am I just going to be overworked and expected to constantly achieve, constantly raise the bar of my productivity? And this this is how things go at some of the most well-known tech companies out there. Demanding. So, but how do you spot that other than looking to see if, you know, the, the interviewer is slowly blinking SOS at you or something, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, like some Morse code that they're trying to run. Yeah. So, uh, you know, blind the website. Yeah. Blind is a great example. Um, you know, if you're working at a company, you can see what people are talking about at your current company. Um, you can get information about other places. Um, you know, that gets shared on Reddit. That gets shared um, on LinkedIn DMs, you know, like this information is not just stuck on one platform and inaccessible to people, you know, and and accessible only by a certain number of people. So it gets shared, it goes viral within our social networks, um, and people speak the truth of the reality out there. So that is one way you can do it. Another way, um, ask questions. And you you don't want to say like, what's the company culture, right? That's not a good question. So are you toxic? Right. Well, I mean, look, it's like, it's like you, you can't be so vague as to say what's the company culture because that Mm -hmm. could be answered in so many different ways, right? You have Mm -hmm. to be really targeted. Um, and, and some things, yeah, it just can't be discussed because it kind of gets into this gray area of, you know, how honest am I? And like, if I'm really honest, that person will not want to come work here. Um, you know, maybe I actually am a great boss and I care about protecting people from burnout. Um, but how, you know, how do I talk about that effectively while also doing my duty as, you know, someone who has a responsibility to the company, that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, there isn't, um, 
there isn't an answer for all of these things. And that's why we have to just look at different data sources, you know, mm-hmm. and really look out, look out for those red flags that are, are occasionally kind of waving gently in the background. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And know your values, know what you care about. And yeah. then the red flags are going to correspond with those, those items. Yeah, one person's red flag is another person's welcome mat, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. I want to thank Amy for joining us. Thank you so much. Um, this has been fantastic. Um, I also want to thank all of you for listening and wish you all the best of luck with your own search, whether it's for a new job or a new employee. I am I'm rooting for all of you. <laughs>